This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, December the 8th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Christine Muis tells you about the Mi'kmaq Braille Code, Canada's first Indigenous Braille script. Don Dickinson has a preview of McLean's Magazine with an article about making the workplace more inclusive while working from home. And Neuralink's brain chip interface. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day and looking at an announcement from the Biodiversity Conference in Montreal. The federal government is promising to invest up to $800 million to support Indigenous-led conservation projects. The projects will cover an estimated 1 million square kilometres. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau laid out the different initiatives. Group representing 17 First Nations to deliver an integrated bioregional rivers and lands across the Northwest Territories in a project that's a partnership between 30 Indigenous governments across the territory supported by the Government of Canada. From there, east and even further north will take you to the Kiktani region and a vast network of protected waters and land safeguarded through Inuit stewardship and governance founded on Inuit Kauyemayuktukangit. And then south to western James Bay and the world's third largest west wetland and a vision of stewardship led by the Omashkego Cree. The Biodiversity Summit continues in Montreal today. Let's get to some anal- analysis, I can talk, about the Bank of Canada raising the key interest rate to 4.25%. Western University economics professor Stephen Williamson thinks this may be the last big hike. You know, so, so if you thought of... Oh, what what might be going on in the governing council? Maybe this was kind of a, a way to compromise to say, okay, uh, why don't we why don't we put this language in the statement saying that we could be done now uh, that we're we're shifting the data dependency. Williamson elaborates on why the bank may have been so aggressive. Somehow they have to make this decision about when to when to stop, and they don't want to. They kind of don't like to be, be sort of, you know, in this, this kind of uh, stop-and-go mode where they, where, they, uh, where they say, oh, I think we're done now, but then, you know, some information comes next month that tells them, oh, maybe not. Yesterday's rate hike was the seventh consecutive hike. The key rate of 4.25% is the highest it's been in Canada since January of 2008. 15 years? Holy smokes, where does the time go? Uh, putting that in real terms... Looking at some mortgage rates this morning from a major Canadian bank. I was just, you know, having a peek, doing a little research for you. So a five-year variable rate mortgage, 6.45%. A five-year fixed rate mortgage, 6.49%. Now, obviously, you can work through a broker and you can negotiate. There's stuff you can do. But those are the posted rates this morning. And just for a little bit of perspective about, let's call it, let's call it, 
two years ago in January of 2021. Maybe I'm fudging the dates here slightly, but there were banks offering fixed rate mortgages over five years at like 1.3%. What a difference two years can make. One more story here for you, and this is from the federal government side. Families Minister Karina Gould is expected to introduce legislation this morning to strengthen child care. Lori Paris has more. The Liberal government brought in a national child care plan that would cut daycare fees by an average of 50% by the end of this year and down to an average of $10 per day by 2026. The 2021 federal budget pledged $30 billion in new spending on the national child care system over five years, with another $9.2 billion annually coming after that. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau later tasked Gould with introducing federal child care legislation to strengthen and protect a high-quality Canada-wide child care system. Earlier this year, she said the bill would enshrine the principles that provinces and territories agreed to in funding agreements with Ottawa, including the pledge to cut parent fees and create more spaces. Lori Paris, The Canadian Press. Let's get to our daily polls at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you... Do you want Canada's revenue agency to crack down on people who illegally took federal support for the pandemic? 55% of you said yes, 45% of you said no. So a bit of a bigger split there than I expected, but I know the question was quite harsh. So maybe some of you felt that might be an overreach. As always, we encourage you to get involved in the comment section and write your thoughts out to let us know why you answered the way you did, but... For now, we'll settle for the quantitative analysis of 55 to 45. Today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How concerned are you about your devices tracking and surveilling your activity and conversations? Very, somewhat, or not at all. It is very clear to me that my phone listens to my conversations. To the point that yesterday I spent a lot of time on here talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and how handsome I think he is. And let's just say that may have messed up the algorithm on my Facebook ads. I started uh, receiving ads specifically for uh, resorts uh, for people of a particular persuasion. Uh, Interesting. I probably didn't help my algorithm last night when I was trying to argue that Cristiano Ronaldo was more handsome than Jason Momoa at the bar. So we'll see what my phone does to me today. But there is a flip side of that. I mean, I find that to be quite funny that my phone is listening to me and shooting off those ads into my algorithm. So I, I, I laugh. And then there's stuff that I actually love. We talked about Spotify wrapped last week and the way it takes my user data and gives me a nice little value added product at the end of the year. Just yesterday, I received my November Google Maps timeline update where it tells me where I went and what I did and shares some key stats. Turns out I walked 50 miles in November. I did 50 miles of walking, which I think is pretty good. I think that's pretty good. Maybe it's not quite as good as everybody or as good as it could be, but I think 50 miles in 30 days is is, is pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that one. So there are moments that I really enjoy. I like seeing myself being tracked a little bit and seeing what I'm doing and knowing where I'm spending my time. It's fun. It's okay. So I'm I'm kind of, I'm closer to the not at all than even the somewhat category. But, you know, the eavesdropping on me sometimes does feel like a little much, you know. Sometimes a guy needs to muse about how handsome Cristiano Ronaldo is without his ad algorithm getting all messed up. Alex Smythe, what about you? Dave, it's one of those things I find funny that, you know, before I was always very aware, okay, 
smart devices are always going to be tracking us. They're always going to be paying attention, even when we think they're not, or or they're you know uh, the phone is turned off, or or at least on sleep mode kind of thing. And, and you you kind of realize like you're you're being tracked in thousands of different ways, regardless of how careful or how cautious you are. That's just the nature of the digital world we live in. But I find it very funny. Ever since I've gotten a smartphone a couple of weeks ago, it's the fact that every single website or app that I go into now, it's like I have to specifically sign off on, oh, uh, like allow the app to track across other websites, other platforms, other, you know, um, situations that are outside of the app. Well, I never had to do that with the Samsung. So it's just, you, you start to realize it's like, oh, when I had my Samsung phone, they were just doing this and I just signed off on it, whether directly or indirectly, because I didn't um, like change the permissions each time uh, that the app or, or the website opened, whereas Apple is, is kind of prompting you to make that decision as soon as you open it. So it, it's funny because before it's like, well, you know, it is what it is. I've signed up for this. This is my understanding. But looking back now, kind of maybe I should have been a bit more concerned just on how much free access that Samsung and other Android devices were maybe giving that Apple is basically making me aware of how much information, how much tracking is going on with some of these sites and apps that I, I wasn't aware of before. Let's bring in and welcome back Eliza Rocco into the audio control room. Eliza, how are you feeling about uh, all the surveillance of your activity and conversations on your device? I'd probably put myself in the somewhat category. I, I appreciate the little things, the little perks to it, like you said. The Spotify wrapped, knowing how many steps I walked the other day. Mm -hmm. If I if I really deeply think about it, it is a little disturbing. <laughs> it's a little disturbing that my phone knows everything about me. Um, but I, it's not really something I think about <laughs> deeply all too often. So somewhat, but at, at the end of the day, like, I would like to know what that the data is, what they're using that data mm -hmm, for. Mm -hmm. But everything is going to track you everywhere nowadays. Like it's so it's so hard to get away from that. So you might as well embrace it and appreciate the small perks from it. They're telling you the fun stuff, right? They're yeah. reporting the fun stuff back to us. But what's the other stuff what's that they're the not stuff? reporting back to us? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what makes you tick a little bit towards that somewhat side, but. I, I think I land on the not at all side because I think I just made this deal with myself a long time ago. It's like, ah, I want to be on the internet. Yeah. I want to be social. <laughs> Track me. It's part of the I deal. I want to live in the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like just like a Bad Religion said in their song, I'm a 21st century digital boy. That's, I that's don't you. know how to read, but I've got a lot of toys. Uh, <laughs> Eliza, thank you for this. <laughs> at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting out east with St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's rain and fog off and on today in a high of 3 degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's rain with up to 25 millimeters expected today. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and the high is 9 degrees. In Montreal, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy but clearing up in the afternoon and the high is 1 degrees. Over to Ottawa, Ontario. It's cloudy today, a high of one as well, but it's feeling like minus six. In Toronto, Ontario, 
it's cloudy and becoming a mix of sun and clouds later, and the high is 4 degrees. Thunder Bay, Ontario. It's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow today. The high is minus 5, but with that wind chill, it's feeling like minus 32. Very cold day over in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. To Winnipeg, on uh, Manitoba, where it's been really cold the last few days, it's mainly sunny. The high is minus 12, and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 28. To Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny, a high of a minus 11, and it's feeling like minus 26. In Calgary, Alberta, it's mainly sunny as well. The high is zero, and it's feeling like minus 12. So Alberta is really warming up after really frigid temperatures the last few days. In Edmonton, Alberta, my old stomping ground, it's a mix of sun and clouds today, a high of minus six, and it's feeling like minus 19. Over to Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's cloudy with snow starting in the morning and up to two centimeters expected. The high is minus 21, and with that wind chill, it's gonna feel like minus 43. In Vancouver, BC, it's rain off and on today, and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is six degrees. And then Victoria, BC, very similar. It's rain off and on today. Not as breezy, not as high winds, but the uh, the temperature, the high for the day is still a high of six degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Christine Muise tells you about the Mi'kmaq Braille Code, Canada's very first Braille script. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. January is Braille Literacy Month, and yes, we know it's only December, but there is an exciting development surrounding Canada's very first Indigenous Braille code for the Mi'kmaq language. Christine Moise is the is a certified Braille transcriber and creator of the new Braille code and joins us from Halifax this morning. Christine, thank you so much for making time for us today. We're grateful. Thank you for having me. So, Christine, where did the idea come from to create this new Braille code? Uh... Well, I, I always knew, <clears throat> pardon me, I always knew that there there wasn't any in Canada, as I had come across the symbol before. Um, last year, I came across the Indigenous Languages Act, and that specifies that Indigenous languages have to be available in uh, both print and sign language. But as a Braille transcriber, I, I felt that there was a population missing there. And Braille couldn't be added because it wasn't available. What goes into creating a new Braille code? I had to consult with uh, a couple of linguists. Um, Dr. Bernie Francis, who was the co-creator of the print orthography for Mi'kmaq, was a great help. and uh, I also got uh, consulted with a, a blind linguist as well, who was a Braille user. And I had to get uh, approval from the Mi'kmaq communities as well in both Canada and the U.S. How challenging is it to do? Obviously, you had, you had some great collaborators along the way there, but how challenging is it to create a Braille code? 
in all honesty, this particular code wasn't overly challenging just because the print orthography was kept pretty simple. Um, I'm sure Carol Green with her Navajo code had a, a much more difficult time there. Uh, I think the process was probably the harder part, trying to find out who to contact and, and get information. You mentioned the development of a Navajo, Navajo code. You were working on this Mi'kmaq code. What what do you think this means moving forward? Do you anticipate more Indigenous languages are going to be uh, having their own Braille codes formed for them? I definitely hope so. If the if the print version, <clears throat> pardon me, allows for it, I think it's really important that Braille is available to anyone that requires it. And I'm I'm curious why Mi'kmaq? Why why was that the first uh, the, the the first uh, language that you chose to tackle? Uh, I chose Mi'kmaq mostly, being a Nova Scotian. I, I've come across the language in several textbooks here over the years, so I was aware already that there was no Braille equivalent for some of that. It ended up being really good timing because our government just adopted Mi'kmaq as its official first language. So when they build the new Friendship Center here, we can have some uh, some Braille for their accessible signage. Christine, you were recently honored by the American Printing House for the Blind. I know you didn't necessarily do this just for you, but how did it feel to receive that honor? Wow, that was definitely a career highlight for sure. Uh, I was absolutely shocked when, when I got that email. Um, yeah, I mean, you can't have a, in, in my field, I can't imagine a, a higher honor than, than being recognized by the American Printing House. Where should folks go if they want to learn more about the Mi'kmaq Braille Code that you created? They can go to the Braille Literacy Canada website. Um, they'll be able to find a link there. Uh, I believe that there's also soon going to be an outline created for the steps involved in creating a new code for other people that want to um, to tackle a new one when it comes up. Christine, congratulations. I know what you undertook here was no small feat and it's going to have significant, significant ramifications and create a template for more languages to be included and transcribed into Braille. So thank you for making time for us today and congratulations once again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Christine Muis, the creator of the Mi'kmaq Braille Code. Christine joined us from Halifax. Coming up next on Dickinson, we'll preview McLean's Magazine with an article about making workplaces more inclusive while we're working from home. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your Morning Business Minute. Wall Street saw a slim decline yesterday, dragged down by the news that the Bank of Canada will again be hiking its key interest rate. Toronto's S&P TSX slipped 17 points to close at 19,973. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average gained just under two points to top out at 33,598. The Nasdaq, it fell 56 points, closing at 10,959. 
Overseas this morning, Japan's Nikkei finished in the red, down 112 points at 27,574. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong closed up 635 points at 19,450. Unifor says Sunwing is walking away from its plans to hire about 65 temporary foreign pilots ahead of a busy winter travel season. And a 24-hour walkout has begun at the New York Times over contract talks. And the loonie is trading this morning at 73.16 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's get to a preview of McLean's magazine. Of course, you can find that reading program Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Don Dickinson produces that show and is here to talk about a couple of this week's articles. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey, Dave. I just want to, wanted you to know that I'm completely freaked out about my phone tracking me. Uh, okay, you know, Don, it's funny. I was going to ask you about that at the end, but let's start there at the beginning. Let's talk about today's daily poll, which folks can find at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I did want to get your perspective, Don, because the three folks who have asked so far around this table, digitally at least, are all millennials, right? So the, the, there's, there is a generation gap between us and you. I'm curious where you stand on your feelings about your devices tracking you and surveilling your activities and conversations. Well, I think it really depends on your age because I came from a time when you weren't tracked and there was no social media when I was young, thank God. <laughs> and, uh, and people didn't have uh, cameras at every, uh, you know, block, uh, you know, basically just, you know, ready to take your picture if you did anything wrong. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that, I mean, I, I am, I, I'm, I'm kind of semi-joking, but at the same time, I am a bit freaked out when I listen to your report about the, the tracking, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, uh, I, I mean, I'm not thrilled. I'm not thrilled, Dave. It's 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 definitely a compromise that we have to make. I I I land. I don't mean to be so self inwardly looking here, but I do land in, in an interesting position because I am an older millennial. I'm like right at the far older end of being a millennial. So for me, I did live a life pre online. Right. I remember when the Internet was introduced into my life. I remember when Facebook was something only available to students. As a McGill student, we were the first Canadian university that were able to get Facebook. So I, I come into this from an early opt-in phase. I was able to make these choices, but it was in a way where it, I, I was able to sort of signify the change. And it's probably similar to you as well, that at a certain mm -hmm. point, you consciously pressed the button, whereas there's a lot of people, probably just a little bit younger than me, who never necessarily had to make that conscious choice one day. I mean, they still made the conscious choice, but it was already sort of in the ether. It was already in the culture. It was already part of the zeitgeist. It was more natural. Whereas for folks like you and myself, perhaps we had to opt in a little more to this, which then can lead to some of those concerns or put me the other way and saying, well, I'm not that concerned because I made this choice. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely concerned. <laughs> I even unplug my Google at home my, my <laughs> every now and then. <laughs> you know, it's just, especially if you're talking about financial matters or something like that, you know, I just, I don't know. It just, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not so trusting. You know? I like that. You unplug your Google at home just to let it know who's in control. <laughs> I'm still yeah. the boss, Google. <laughs> I can unplug you whenever I want to. Uh, Don, let's talk about a couple of these articles. 
And the first one somewhat relates to the digital world that we live in because it's about the isolating effects of working from home and then making the workplace more welcoming if that's the world we're going to live in. So what does the author say in this article about the price we all pay for remote work? Well, I found this a fascinating article. It's by Kim Samuel. And and basically, she, she's talking about the fact that in the absence of water coolers and face-to-face meetings and semi-regular pizza lunches and everything, employers are now forced to work harder to maintain a sense of cultural cohesion. Uh, these days, one of the biggest uh, business liabilities is isolation and ultimately loneliness which I found, and you know, after having our Christmas party yesterday, I really appreciated this article much, much more. Yeah, yesterday was really nice to see uh, almost, I think it was almost 50 people who were here in the office yesterday uh, spending time together and being merry and having fun and and breaking bread. It was a real nice change of pace after the last couple of years. Don, let's pick up on the loneliness thread there. What are the health problems that loneliness can present? Well, it's devastating, Dave. I mean, loneliness is associated with a whole host of problems, sleep issues, heart disease, depression, even premature death. It's also toxic for workplaces. A 2021 study by the consulting firm of McKinsey and Company examined what's behind the record high rates of quitting worldwide. Uh, When researchers asked managers why they thought their workers had left their jobs, respondents pointed to issues like typical issues like low pay and a lack of work-life balance. But surprisingly, and this blew me away, more than half of employees said it was because they didn't feel a sense of community at work. Mm. Whether or not teams stay hybrid or not, belonging belonging to uh, 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 and having this sense of community is so crucial to, to their satisfaction of their job. There's some push and pull here, Don, because some people really like remote work and some people don't like remote work. But as you're elaborating on or as you're pointing out here, there are some real impacts here in terms of employee retention and employee satisfaction for those who are working remotely. So what are some of the suggestions here in terms of what employers need to do to retain their staff? Well, the article specifies that more and more managers will have to build bonds by controlling less and listening more. They have to move away from uh, uh, top-down policies and towards more softer interpersonal practices like asking connection-building questions, giving positive feedback, putting away their phones during one-on-ones. They need to ask and genuinely care about workers' needs and values right from the hiring stage. And to your point, Dave, about the hybrid and remote work. It, this article is not saying that that those folks don't appreciate the hybrid work. Uh, I mean, I'm very much appreciative of it, but I also uh, agree with this very, very strongly that a company has to have something uh, on a regular basis that makes their um, employees feel as though they are part of a community. Yeah, it it can be really tricky, right? Because sometimes a digital Teams hangout or Zoom hangout doesn't quite 
get the result you want. So it becomes a tricky balance of how do you get people to engage with one another outside of simply their professional relationships, but in a way that doesn't sort of feel super forced or super gimmicky. If somebody's already been on a Zoom call all day, they probably don't want to spend another hour on a Zoom call that night. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right, Dave, you know, and and, and, and it can be intrusive in, 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 in some sense, you know, because uh, obviously the those staff members would be saying well hey you know i just spent a whole day working and do i really want to just kind of hang out you know with people but it doesn't mean that those companies can't do a little bit more when it comes to the the social programs that they're offering and uh you know, just maybe have something quarterly. It doesn't have to be all the time, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I even think about the, I even think about sort of maybe the university experience and say, can you create little clubs in, inside inside your building, right? Or can you have like a little music club or a little movie club or just do something that shakes it up? It's a little bit different, but it allows people to connect at that different level because certainly uh, I'm someone who much prefers being in the office. I'm just 20 million times more productive. Home is where the distractions are, whereas work <laughs> is where work can happen. But I do miss, because we're still working very much in a hybrid situation right now here at AMI. We have a lot of people in the building, but we have a lot of people who aren't in the building. Most of our most of our editorial team is not in the building. So it, it becomes like a little bit strange, right, that we have these people who we deal with every single day. But for example, I saw Paul Daniel yesterday. I think I've seen Paul Daniel twice all year, right? And this is someone that I talk to every day on the phone, but I don't see him that often. So it's weird. You feel this disconnect with people that you're deeply connected to. Yes, absolutely. And also the fact that, you know, the, the, when you're always in a uh, work mode with people, you're only ever talking about work, where if, if you have a little bit more of a social um, event, like we had yesterday, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're talking about other other things not necessarily work-related and then you find that you might have a common interest you know uh i found i found this very much with karen mcgee you know oh um, yeah karen mcgee we 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 have a, a a real deep interest in uh you know uh costuming and 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 uh, cosplay and all that type of thing and you know, if you're if you're talking about work all the time, you're not really delving into that person or their or, or their hobbies or their family life. And, you know, you don't really get to to, to really experience that side of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially with the in-person style gathering. It's nice that you can have those asides as well. It would have been tough for you and Karen to have that conversation on a Zoom call or on a Teams call with nine other people yeah. there. But it's yeah. really easy to have an aside when you're when you're in a room with 50 other people and you can have a little private chat. Anyway, I, I, I think we've, we've sort of meandered. We've meandered off the point okay. here. But, <laughs> but, 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 suffice, but suffice to say, yeah, if we are going to move into this more remote and hybrid world, we need to address that idea of loneliness and employee engagement at least for the employees who want that, right? Like there's, there's, Absolutely. there needs to be a strategy in place because there are folks who want that remote work, who want that hybrid work, but are still feeling that disconnection. It can be two things at once. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Don, let's move on to something a little bit different here, but it's really fascinating. This is more of a profile of environmental innovator yeah. uh, Nyla Mulu, who's developing a newer, sleeker solar panel and plant-based plastics. So if we're going to do a profile, Don, we have to start here. Who is Nyla Mulu? 
Well, this profile is the kind of thing that you read and you think to yourself, what have I been doing all my life, Dave? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, like, oh, my God. So uh, Nyla Mulu is uh, 16 years of age, and she's already making huge waves as an environmental innovator. Her body of work, which along with uh, her plant-based plastics and her solar panel includes two fantasy uh, novels. She's earned her spot on a Women's Executive Network's list of Canada's most powerful women. Oh my gosh. And last, yeah, I know, I know. And last April, a Woman of the Year honor uh, from DMZ, uh, uh, a business incubator at Toronto's Metropolitan University. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so we have a winner here. We have a succeeder. Yeah. We have an alpha. We have a top-tier individual who already has the world at their fingertips. So what kind of childhood produced such an amazing teenager? Yeah, it's always intriguing to know, like, where these kids came yeah, from, Yeah, what right? did my parents uh, do wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, growing up in Ottawa, Mulu was uh, a shocker, uh, a walking straight-A student uh, in, grade, in grade five while working on a project about geothermal energy. That just blew me away in grade five, Dave. Um, she says, <laughs> quote, I was, I, I, know, <laughs> I was horrified by fossil fuel statistics, uh, she says, and uh, that planted the seed for me to find my own solutions. Three years later, Mulu competed in the Worldwide Science Fair with a project aimed at reducing teen mobile usage. Uh, her work caught the attention of the Knowledge Society, and, uh, and they offer an after-school program that runs next-generation uh, Canadian geniuses through what they call a rigorous academic boot camp. So, you know, um, Everything leads to everything, right? Like she, she obviously was uh, an amazing student, mm -hmm. um, an innovative uh, individual, and people took notice. And then they put her, they gave her opportunities that other students necessarily wouldn't have. And then she just kept excelling and excelling. Just keep getting those opportunities. This is clearly a very special human. This is someone who is the tippity-tippity-top of human existence. And I'm so glad to hear these opportunities have been incubating her and giving her the opportunity to keep growing her skills. So, Dawn, let's talk about a couple of these inventions. We have the yeah. solar cell, this new solar cell, this new solar panel, as well as the duckweed plastic that she's developing. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, she dreamed up her solar cell. <laughs> Excuse me. I've had a couple of those this morning, Dawn, too. The uh, the Christmas party came after it me was in the full Christmas force party. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she dreamed up her solar cell and duckweed concepts while navigating um, a heavy-duty course load. Where, whereas most solar cells are quite clunky, Mulu's portable prototype is small enough to fit on an iPhone. Get out of here. And for the, I know! And for the bioplastic, uh, Mulu decided on duckweed, which is relatively cheap to harvest and can double its biomass every 24 hours. In May of 2021, she successfully pitched the premise to a Denmark-based bioplastics company called Pond Biomaterials, how appropriate, <laughs> uh, whose uh, corporate partners include Adidas, of all people. Oh, my gosh. Now she spends her days off school developing her material uh, remotely in a lab at Carleton University. 
oh my god this kid is something yeah this this is someone to watch for sure this might be one of the people who uh changes our future as we always say on the show don children are the future unless we stop them now and uh, i don't think there's going to be any stopping uh, nyla mulu uh don i'm thinking about this when i was 16 years old what i was doing with my free time i was not saving the world or developing solar panels <laughs> or duckweed plastic i was literally in wrestling message boards with fake characters having promo battles with people for fake wrestling fights like digital <laughs> fake wrestling fights that's how i was spending my free time at 16 and uh nilu and that probably shows you where i'm at today versus uh by the time nilu mulu's my age uh this is going to be probably one of the wealthiest people in the world oh yeah you can just see i mean i i when i read this article at first i thought of bill gates you know because when you see those pictures of bill gates he looks 12. yeah uh, like yeah. I, I think i think he was actually 18 or something but he does look 12. i mean he he just he just had it you know some yeah. of these kids they just they've got it and they're going to change the world, like oh, you say, Dave. My gosh, my gosh. Hey, Don, this has been great catching up with you. It was super nice to see you in person yesterday. I hope uh, the family is enjoying the leftovers that you uh, brought home from the uh, from the table. And this is our last time chatting with you on air in 2022. We're going to catch up with you off air a few more times during our test shows for the new studio and new control room. But I want to thank you for everything that you do, not just for us, but across the AMI family. It's uh, always a pleasure catching up, Don. So all the best to you and yours over the holidays oh thank you very much dave and to you too have thank a great you. great holiday thank you very much that's don dickinson producer of our reading program mclean's magazine which you can find fridays at 5 p.m eastern time on ami audio you heard me mention it just a moment ago last live check-in with don this year that's because as of monday morning there are going to be no live dave brown shows no more live with dave brown up until the new year into 2023 we have a beautiful new control room that's been uh well it's been being put together it is put together now it's assembled it's been a months-long project here around the building and we also built me a new studio so everything is aesthetically quite beautiful and comfortable. We did some camera tests a couple days ago and I didn't look too fat on camera. So I was very happy about that. I then proceeded to consume nothing but carbohydrates and cheese yesterday. So let's hopefully not do any more camera tests today, but we have to do a bunch of testing. We have to make sure all the hamsters run on the wheels in the right direction and make sure we chase all the gremlins out of the system before a January, 2023 relaunch. So we are going to be away. We're still going to be here. We didn't get canceled, but we need to do a couple of test shows and mock shows to make sure that everything works. So as of this Monday, there's going to be no more live show and no more podcast until Monday, January the 9th. Monday, January the 9th of 2023. We are going to relaunch this sucker. I'm going to do nothing but sit-ups over the course of the next month so I look even better in my new studio. But a big thank you to a lot of folks who are doing work behind the scenes to get us ready and have been working their tails off training and developing and building and listening to all my complaints because gosh no i have a opinion or two about what's going on around my new studio so a big thanks to everybody working on that one and a big thank you to you as well i'm going to remind you a couple more times just so you don't forget that we're not going to be here on monday that we have not been canceled we're just going away for a couple weeks to get ourselves prepped for something brand new and exciting Coming up next, Jenny Bovard will reflect on a missing persons case in Halifax. But first, Apple is facing legal troubles over their AirTags. Andy Field explains in Tech Trends.
proposed class action lawsuit alleges air tags have been used by stalkers. Lauren Hughes is one of the women who filed the suit, claiming a former partner used the device to track her whereabouts. He had been leaving things at my door, so I made the decision to move to a new place. Uh, during that process, I was actually loading things into my vehicle at the time when I got the notification that um, an air tag was moving with me. Apple says its devices will notify you if they detect an air tag nearby, but the lawsuit says those measures don't go far enough. Civil rights attorney Ariva Martin. There is some evidence out there that Apple has had issues with the product and has made some efforts to improve its safety protocols, but that, according to these women and this lawsuit, those efforts were not sufficient. With Tech Trends, I'm Andy Field, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The idea of a loved one going missing is terrifying. There are missing persons all over the country. It can be easy to get an Amber Alert on your phone and just swipe it away. But for families, friends, and communities, it's a completely different story. Jenny Bovard is here to highlight a missing person story out of Nova Scotia. Hey, good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Dave. Jenny, let's start here. Who is Devin Marsman? Devin Marsman is 17 years old, and he's been missing since the week of February 21st, 2022. And I was hoping just to take this time to spread the word and Devin's description. And uh, so Devin, Devin Sinclair Marsman was last seen 10 months ago in Spryfield, Nova Scotia, which is a community here in the city of Halifax. But Devin could be anywhere within Canada or elsewhere. I'm going to give you his description here. Devin is about five feet tall, 100 pounds with blue-green eyes, and he has short, dark hair. He was last seen wearing a hoodie and jeans. And if you know anything at all, anything at all that might lead to finding Devin or understanding what happened, I urge you do not hesitate to reach out because, again, Devin could be anywhere and you just never know what could be an important tip. There's $150,000 being offered for information that leads to an arrest and conviction of those responsible for Devin's disappearance. To reach out, you can call the Major Unsolved Crimes Program at 1-888-710-9090. Again, that number is 1-888-710-9090. If you wish to remain anonymous, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Jenny, I imagine it's been a difficult 10 months for everyone involved. What are police saying about the case? Initially, police did not consider Devin's disappearance suspicious, despite his family being absolutely certain that he would not up and leave on his own. I chatted with Devin's mom, Teresa, this week, and she said Devin was the type of kid who was constantly texting back and forth throughout the day. They were in constant communication when he was not at home, right up until the the time that he disappeared and stopped responding. She also said that Devin is the kind of kid, a teenager at that, that would interrupt her while she was working or doing something at home just to say, I love you. And I just thought that was a 
big way to describe Devin because I don't know many teenagers like that. And I was not like that, mm. but Coming back to the the case, it took eight months for Devin's disappearance to be deemed suspicious by law enforcement. And just earlier this month, the case was added to that major unsolved crimes program offering $150,000. Publicly and to the family, police have shared very few details about the investigation, about what's going on. However, the details and circumstances and people surrounding Devin's disappearance are, are known to family. There are details known by the family and the community, and it's without a doubt a suspicious disappearance. How is the family hoping for community assistance in this time? Well, the family and the community, there's been a, a lot of really great participation and support from the community. They've done everything you can possibly fathom to try and bring Devin home, including personally searching the woods in Nova Scotia and outside of Nova Scotia. So how can we help? I think if you know something, say something, let detectives determine what tips are important, share Devin's story online, say his name and tell his story to people that you know and people that you meet. How does this story fit into a broader picture of missing persons and human trafficking? Well, horrifyingly enough, um, Nova Scotia has the highest rate of human trafficking in Canada based on population. And human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes worldwide. And in fact, it's underreported, most uh, most police believe. So um, most people as well know the person who ends up trafficking them. And this information is troubling. And in fact, Devin was last seen entering the home of someone rumored to have ties to human trafficking. Jenny, this is your neighbor. I, I, I can hear it in your voice. I, I can only imagine how the family is feeling, but how are you and how is the community feeling in dealing with this? Well, as neighbors, as members of the community, there's no way that we can understand what Devin's family is going through and, and that pain, but we are behind them and we are feeling some of that pain with them. We're deeply disturbed and absolutely heartbroken that this child can be missing for this long from our neighborhood and without any answers. It's been a very long time and this is not okay. And Devin deserves to come home and, and appropriate justice as well. Jenny, one more reminder on the points of contact, how people can assist the family and assist in the search for Devin at this time. Again, if you uh, would like to share online, it's easy to find information about Devin. It's Devin Marsman, D-E-V-O-N-M-A-R-S-M-A-N. And if you can think of anything at all, if you hear something or see something, don't hesitate to contact the Major Unsolved Crimes Program at 1-888-710-9090. That number is not anonymous, but Crime Stoppers is anonymous, and you can phone them at 1-800-222-8477. And Jenny, one more reminder, because you did a really nice job when we put the picture of Devin up before, but can you give the description of Devin uh, one more time for us as well? Absolutely. So Devin is described as about five feet tall. He's 100 pounds with blue-green eyes and dark hair, short dark hair. And he was last seen wearing a hoodie and jeans. 
And uh, I, our, our senior producer, Andrika Delanerol, also thinks that we should mention that he is uh, Afro-Nova Scotian as well, just in case people were curious about the, uh, the, the race on this as well, uh, just as something to, to flag for folks as part of the description. Thank you for adding that. I did forget to mention that. Thank you, Dave. Jenny, um, we oftentimes have a lot of fun when we're uh, chatting together, um, but thank you for bringing this really serious and really important story to the program. We're appreciative and grateful. I'm really grateful that you let me help spread Devin's story. So thank you very much. That's Jenny Bovard, the host of the Low Vision Moments podcast. It's kind of tough to pivot off that, but we're going to try as we wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. Let's turn to the world of science, where scientists have discovered the oldest known DNA. Chuck Sievertson has that story. It reveals what life was like two million years ago in the northern tip of Greenland. Study author Eska Villerslev says the previous record was DNA from a mammoth's tooth. But this is a recovery of an entire ecosystem, right? So both plants and animals that are two million years old. Greenland today is a barren Arctic desert. Two million years ago, it was a lush landscape of trees and vegetation with an array of animals. We find things like mastodon, which are extinct elephants. And they have never been found in Greenland or that far north before. Researchers were able to get genetic information out of small damaged bits of DNA. The DNA also showed traces of animals, including geese, hares, reindeer, and lemmings. I'm Ed Donahue. And it's also that time of the year when we start getting some year in review sorts of content. We talked about uh, Oxford Dictionary's word of the year earlier in the week. Goblin mode. First of all, not a word. It's a phrase. Second of all, what? Uh, we also talked about Merriam-Webster putting out their word of the year, which was gaslighting. A little more appropriate, although kind of eight years behind the zeitgeist. That, that's fine, though. Well, Time Magazine has named its person of the year. Rita Foley fills you in. Time's person of the year is Ukraine's President Zelensky for proving, says Time, that courage can be as contagious as fear. When Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, Volodymyr Zelensky stayed in Kyiv, the capital. He didn't run, says Time's editor-in-chief, Edward Felsenthal. Volodymyr Zelensky was a comedian who turned politician. When the war broke out, he worked to rally Ukrainian resistance. Time magazine's Felsenthal says President Zelensky and the spirit of Ukraine our Times 2022 Person of the Year for reminding the world of the fragility of democracy and of peace. I'm Rita Foley. I want to level with you. It's, what, December the 8th today. I lose track of the calendar. I, I have trouble with these things. It always strikes me as just like a smidge early for all this year-end stuff. I, I know that... that by the time we sort of get to that week of Christmas and Hanukkah, things kind of spin out a little bit. But, like, it's it's so early in the month to be doing this, the year in review stuff and the looking back and all that jazz. It, it's just like, it's, it's a smidge. It just feels a smidge early. That said, tune in tomorrow for the news panel as we do our year in review, as it's our last news panel of the year. So we want to do that. We're going to talk about the biggest news stories of the year. But what do you think? When is too early to start doing year in review content or people of the year content or word of the year or song of the year or dress shirt of the year? 
I don't know. When do you think that is? When do you think the appropriate date is? I'm going to put it at December 15th. That's my vote. December 15th, that's when people should be doing their year in review stuff. But I want to hear from you. Send us an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. Find us on social media at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible Media Inc. or at Accessible Media on Twitter and TikTok. Or if social media is not your bag, you can always give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update, and Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat with some breaking news about Brittany Griner. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, December the 8th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Neuralink's brain chip interface is moving towards human trials. Sean Priest will fill you in. And the Rowan Tree Collective is a new programming hub in Thunder Bay for people with autism. Karen McGee will describe it to you. But before we get to any of that, let's get to the regional news update. David Eby shuffled his cabinet yesterday. About two-thirds of British Columbia's cabinet appointments. And not just the diversity of our province in terms of the geography, and, uh, and I think that that's what you see in this group behind me. Katrine Conroy will replace Selena Robinson as the finance minister while Robinson goes to post-secondary education and future skills. Eby says Conroy is a good fit for the job. So for rural British Columbians, they're seeing a new finance minister who really, uh, to my mind, represents the best of rural life uh, with a background in agriculture. Uh, she's a hunter and she is tough. And, uh, and I am really excited uh, that she is going to complement and bring that perspective in a very high profile and significant role to our team. EB also created a standalone portfolio for housing. Over to the prairies, the Alberta government has passed its Sovereignty Act. Rob Westgate has more. Smith's United Conservative Caucus used its majority Wednesday night to pass an amendment to affirm that the Alberta legislature still has the last word when it comes to lawmaking. It then moved directly to third and final reading on the bill and was approved around 1 a.m. Thursday with government members standing to applaud after it cleared the final legislative hurdle. Immediately after the vote, NDP leader Rachel Notley tweeted for the record, if we form government, we will move to repeal this horrible anti-democratic legislation. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. And let's head into Ontario, where Ottawa City Council has voted to eliminate citizen representation on its transit commission. Only city councillors will be members of that commission now. Recent public polling shows that public trust in the transit system is at an all-time low in the city after a report showed extreme mismanagement in the building of Ottawa's light rail transit system. Councillor Jessica, Jessica Bradley says taking away the public seat at the table would not be wise given the findings of the report. 
And let's finish in the Atlantic provinces, where the association representing doctors in Newfoundland and Labrador says the province is paying a private company more than double what it pays family doctors for consultations. The Newfoundland and Labrador Medical Association says it found the information in a contract between the provincial government and PhoneMed. The five-year deal pays between $82 and $92 for virtual care appointments with nurse practitioners. The province pays family doctors about $37 for a standard in-person visit and $47 for a virtual care visit. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, before we get into some of the fun stuff, some breaking news from the intersection of geopolitics and sports. Yes, there is. Uh, WNBA star Brittany Griner is leaving a Russian prison today after 293 days and will be headed back to the United States. So some uh, news there for sure. Yeah, all part of a prisoner swap between uh, Russia and the U.S. The U.S. is going to be releasing a Russian arms dealer. So trading basketball players with small possessions of cannabis for arms dealers. I I think that one would lose in the trade machine. (laughs) Brock, let's get to some of the fun stuff. We had a a sports monologue yesterday while you were traveling in for the AMI Christmas party, and I talked about the benching of Portuguese soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. Beyond mentioning how handsome I was, I talked about what a tactical advantage it could be for Portugal to bring him in as a super sub throughout the rest of this World Cup. What was your reaction to my monologue? First of all, my reaction is well done. And, um, you know, it's just you and I talking right now. So don't tell the bosses. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't you, you don't need me to talk sports. You can you can do just fine on monologues. But I will add uh, I will add this by saying, Dave, could you imagine if you could have somebody as strong uh, and, and I uh, pick the sport? I don't care which sport it is. If you could have somebody as strong as Cristiano Ronaldo and say, this guy is good enough to be subbed in on the bench and makes this vast difference where we could put him on for 20 minutes, and as you mentioned yesterday, and he's going to immediately change the dynamic of the, the, the game. And a lot of people will say, okay, but he's kind of asking for a lot. He's kind of being a bit of a prima donna. All that might be true, maybe, but if this does work out and the Portugal coach continues to run this way out there. This could be the difference between Portugal winning and losing the world cup in the sense that again, if you bring somebody with fresh legs like Ronaldo for 20 minutes and say, give me all you've got, he can make that drastic difference almost immediately. And any professional sports team would kill to have that luxury. And if those Ronaldo thighs are fresh, everybody look out because goodness gracious, <laughs> that man has some quad muscles. Uh, Brock, we'll come back to the World Cup in a moment, but let's head into the world of Major League Baseball where the money taps have been opened during free agency. I'm not quite sure where you want to start, but you've been obsessed with Justin Verlander, formerly of the Houston Astros. Well, this older gentleman just received some serious quiche. That is exactly where I will start with my obsession of uh, Justin Verlander. Listen, this guy is 39 years old at the moment, and by the end of this contract, he will be 41 years old. 
while he is still cha-ching, cha-ching, let the cash register ring and collecting $86 million. People will say, ah, this will be his last contract. I, I, I tend to want to agree. Uh, father time does catch up to everybody. Tom Brady wants to argue that point, but it, it does catch up to everybody. I don't know if we're going to see uh, Justin Verlander at the same level. He's coming off of a Cy Young award. He just keeps doing it year after year. Love this signing, but I think it's short term for a reason. Mm-hmm. We should mention that's the New York Mets with whom he uh, he signed that deal. I should have mentioned that in the way that I was uh, setting, it, setting it up. So the Mets looks like they're losing Jacob deGrom, which is uh, one of the elite pitchers in the game, but replacing him with another elite pitcher. So well done by the Mets spending some money. Speaking of more money being handed out, a team that you and I both kind of fell in love with during the playoffs, the mm-hmm. Philadelphia Phillies signing shortstop Trey Turner to a big old deal. Yes, uh, eleven million dollars, uh, which is equate. Uh, sorry, eleven years, which is equating to three hundred million dollars. That's Ooh. a lot of Ooh. money on this on this uh, deal. If you can add a guy like Turner to this uh, team and put him in the lineup along with uh, Bryce Harper, that makes an already good team with a. Canadian manager Rob Thompson really look really good. And yes, I threw in the Canadiana because I love me some Canadiana, uh, you know, stuff on teams. I think it's it's good. I, I like this signing. It's a lot of money and a lot of years. And these are the ones, though, Dave, where I look at this and I go, I go, hey, 11 years. Are you going to be regretting this by the time the contract, you know, comes to an end? But I think people pay a lot of front loaded contracts and that's kind of where they get and they they want to lock up people long term but i i do wonder the long the longer you have these contracts where whether you're looking at the last you know uh in year eight nine mm-hmm. ten and eleven you're looking and going uh did we make a mistake but i think it's again front loaded more than it is backloaded trey, trey turner sneaky young still in his mid-20s so it's one of these deals where it's not like he's going to be in his 40s at the end he's going to be more in his late 30s that said a a huge part of his game is speed he's one of the better speed players in the league so that's probably something that's going to go away but the guy can hit for contact and he does have some power so there's the possibility of that game aging well I'm not quite sure where they're going to land him on the field though because he played shortstop mostly played shortstop for the Nationals and Dodgers over the last couple of years Philly has a good shortstop in Gene Segura so I'm not quite sure where he's going to land there could be some machinations there but I believe either him or Segura are capable of playing second or third so we'll see where they land and I just want to make mention you you talked about uh, Bryce Harper don't forget some of the other great signings they have on that team players like they spent money on JT Riomuto formerly of the Marlins who's one of the more underrated catchers in the game who also is quite fast and of course John Segura Gene Segura who they signed from the Mariners a couple years ago on a big money deal so them them Phillies they are spending some quiche 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 brock the money keeps rolling though because aaron judge staying with the new york yankees nine years 360 million 40 million dollars a year that can means he can afford maybe a one-bedroom apartment in manhattan yes uh a fancy one-bedroom apartment but uh yeah it's a big bedroom it'll be a big bedroom exactly um you know this one surprised me, and you and I were uh, uh, joking at at a Christmas party about the things we'd do with, uh, you know, forty million dollars a year and, oh, and what we do. Ooh. 
and we there there'd be so many things we could do and so much we could you know have our own drivers and all this but you know what this one surprises me and I'll tell you why I I I really did not think he was going to be in pinstripes if you had, if you'd pinned me in a corner before this took place and you said to me Brock Aaron Judge is where the last place I would have picked is the New York Yankees because it just seemed like he was looking for more money, which he got, check. But also, it seemed like he was looking for a different place to be. So I was a bit surprised by this. But again, it's it's more about the, the place you know versus the place you don't. And I think this is part of what's going on. And $360 million, which equates to $40 million a year, is a lot of money. And uh, he will remain in the American League East. So... There you go. One more quick deal I want to mention here. No need to get into too much uh, too much conversation on it, but it's reported the San Diego Padres have also signed Xander Bogarts, uh, formerly of the Boston Red Sox, to an 11-year, $280 million deal. My goodness, did the Padres keep adding good bats to that lineup? Xander Bogarts, sneaky, sneaky, underrated player in the league. Yes, 100%. And uh, when uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. does come back off of his – suspension which will be part of the way through next season uh, i can't remember exactly it'll it'll be what. fairly early it'll be fairly early because the suspension was only 80 games and he, he missed he, he missed most of the second half of this year so he'll be, right. he'll be back so early next year and that and that will add to to the team as well and uh, hopefully uh because of you know tatis hopefully he's matured through what he's done and had to go through and that can only help a team like the Padres and when you add Xander Bogarts that just makes an already good team even better so my slam Diego Padres are just gonna keep slamming them bats uh Brock let's go back to the World Cup here one of the things that happens to us is with these sports chats happening at about 10 a.m eastern time we oftentimes don't get to preview everything on the World Cup slate so let's talk about tomorrow's games today we have Argentina and the Netherlands and we have Brazil and Croatia your uh, quick reactions or your quick thoughts in previewing those games uh, I think Brazil is the uh, runaway favorite in game one. They have uh, the most sexy style of soccer I have ever seen. Uh, it's very nice. It's very good. The game that you want to be tuned in for that I am recording and I'm jealous that I cannot watch it live is the game at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. Please tune into Kelly and company on the uh, back channels of watching this. We would appreciate it. Uh, but Netherlands versus Argentina is uh, is going to be the good one. This is going to be the first sort of fight of two major teams and only one uh, will end up moving on. And it is going to be a dog fight. They're both very good uh, with strikers. They're both very good defensively. They're, they're, it's just it's an all-around good game. So do look forward for that. But lots of good matches coming. Yeah, that 2 p.m. Eastern game uh, with Argentina and the Netherlands. It's it's The Netherlands can play a funky style when they want to. They can get a little bit physical more so than Argentina can when, when they want to. That said, both these teams specialize in short passing games and possession. So it'll be interesting to see if one can impose their style on the other. And that Brazil-Croatia game, Croatia parked the bus against Japan and they were able to do so because they have a small tactical advantage in terms of uh, technique over the Japanese players, they cannot park the bus against Brazil. So Croatia is going to have to come in with a different kind of game plan. 
that isn't just playing keep away from the Brazilian team because that ain't going to fly if you're trying that with Brazil. They'll pick you apart all day if you try to play keep away. So very, very interesting games tomorrow on the World Cup slate. Should be a great uh, weekend of action. Brock, we got to scoot, my friend. Have yourself a great day. Super happy to hang out in person yesterday. All the best, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. We will indeed. That is Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. No World Cup action today. No NCAA football action today. You're stuck with the NBA and the NHL. I think you'll be all right. Let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's mainly cloudy and a chance of rain with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of 4 degrees. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's up to 20 millimeters of rain expected today with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 7 degrees. In St. John, New Brunswick, that rain is continuing in the area. It's raining off and on today with up to 10 millimeters expected and also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour as well, but it's slightly warmer at nine degrees. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain or snow in the morning and the high is one degree, but it's feeling like minus seven. In Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later in the day and the high is four degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning and then clearing out. The high is minus 3, but with the wind chill, that's feeling closer to minus 18. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny, the high of minus 10, but that's feeling closer to minus 28 with the wind chill. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly sunny as well. The high is minus 11, which is feeling like minus 27. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds, and then clearing later in the day, there's wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour, and the high is 3 degrees, but feeling like negative 11. As we move our way, continuing through Alberta, it's Red Deer, Alberta next, which is also mainly sunny. The high is minus 3, but feeling like minus 22. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy, with snow expected this morning. The high is minus 6, and falling with a wind chill that feels more like minus 16. Now, finally over to BC, we'll start with Kelowna, which is cloudy and it has a chance to snow there. The high is minus five, but it's feeling like minus 12. And then finally in Vancouver, BC, it's rain off and on today. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and the high is six degrees. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour, but coming up next, Neuralink's brain chip interface is moving to human trials. Sean Priest fills you in on those details. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. <laughs> Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's get to the intersection of science and technology and disability. This intro is going to seem a little bit like a mixed bag, so bear with me here. We're talking about Neuralink's brain implant. And let's just say 
It's been a week of uh, mixed headlines. There have been some serious concerns raised over the animal rights issues involved in some of the animal testing of the brain implant. Meanwhile, it looks like we're moving towards human trials of this brain implant, and the chip is being described as having the potential to restore eyesight. So let's talk about these intersections with Sean Priest, one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find on AMI-audio, and you can find Sean in Manchester, England. Hello, Sean. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm well, Sean. You've got a real interesting one for us today, but let's just start Mm. with a a fact, a fact-based question before we start opining. How soon are these human trials expected to begin? Well, it depends who you're listening to. If you're listening to Elon, yeah, next week, virtually. No, actually, during his presentation, I think he said within six months. But all that's happened so far is basically they filled in the application forms for human trials uh, and they've submitted it to the FDA. So, I mean, that's that's no guarantee that they're going to go through or anything. So it's still up in the air, but it does show that they are they think they're ready for the clinical trials for humans um mm. so you know it, it's still yeah it could be a worrying time but it's, it's an interesting time for the technology I, I know this is a very subjective question but how far ahead is Neuralink in this particular research well uh, yeah that is an interesting one as with Elon I think a lot of the peers in the academics in this field are saying actually the technology itself which is basically having uh, electrodes implanted into the brain, isn't anything new. And so far, it's not nothing really that impressive that Neuralink are doing. What is impressive, though, is the way that they're doing it. They have a chip that goes behind the ear and the wires go from there into the brain. But instead of having uh, um, the data having to be connected through wires, which is how it's done in animal trials and why there's a lot of concern about that, to connect the actual implant to a computer to read the data, you need actual wires coming through the skin, which sounds terrible. Yeah, Um, that doesn't sound super pleasant. Exactly, it sounds horrific, right? And the way that Neuralink have done it and packaged it up is it's done wirelessly. So from that point of view, the engineering behind the chip is absolutely amazing. And it's sort of what Elon does. You know, he is an engineer, be it software Mm, or actually mm -hmm. mechanical. It's the same as he did with Tesla, really. The technology was all there already, but it's just packaging it up. So, yes, the the people that are impressed by the, uh, the packaging of this technology is because of being able to get the data in and out from the implant wirelessly. And that's a big deal. And the other thing they've done, there's two bits of equipment from Neuralink. The second piece is an eight-foot robot surgeon to implant this into your brain. Oh, my. Basically, it's a sewing machine that will embed the wires, these, you know, so much thinner than a human hair wires, into your brain. Um, And (laughs) Elon is saying that it will be nothing more than, you know, the same as LASIK, they call it, eye surgery. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what they're saying. So there's two bits of equipment that Neuralink are working on that are really impressive from an engineering point of view. But when it comes to what that neuro interface, you know, into the brain can actually do, they're not that far in in front of anyone else. 
So, Sean, we've talked about Neuralink on the show earlier this year. As you know, it, it, it tends to make little splashes here and there in terms of headlines, and it mm-hmm. becomes an interesting yeah. conversation. We talked about it with Marco Pasqua, oh my gosh, maybe back in April or, 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 or March, sometime around there. And one of the things... The monkey we... or the pig. <laughs> That's what it usually was. That's yeah. the, the, the things that they've been highlighting at the moment. The well, pig with the implant and the monkey with the implant. So so one of the things that we discussed was potential. And I even had that one line in my intro about the potential to restore eyesight. I know there's other ideas of being able to uh, assist people who are dealing with dementia. There's some talks of being able to regenerate some nerve connections for people to increase mobility. As mm-hmm. you think about it, what do you see the potential of a device like this brain implant? And I, I see, I really worry about this because the word potential is so vague, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the potential oh, yeah. of it, give it a thousand years, could be absolutely amazing. We could all be telepathic. I don't know. But I do worry because the things that are being cited recently, and the most recent thing at this presentation was, you know, restoring sight loss even people born blind i can restore we we, there's the potential it's a very important word potential to restore sight loss and of course restoring mobility and motor function to quadriplegic people so that is the things that are being cited and i I, the technology is so immature yes so yes so much in its infancy right now the you know the, the the um the, the researcher at Neuralink who was who's been uh, doing research into sight loss, you know, basically they can excite and stimulate stimulate the visual cortex of a a monkey's brain and and generate flashes in their in their vision. Now that is a light year away from usable functioning sight. Yes. So yes. Uh, I understand the excitement behind it, but I am incredibly wary and I do cringe a little bit on any any technology or even medical procedure or whatever that says, you know, oh, yeah, this has the potential to restore sight loss because we know so many people and not just whatever your disability. So many people would love the you know, want that hope that there is a way back or a, you know, a cure for whatever disability is. And um, honestly, I think we are light years away from anything like that. Yeah, it makes me really uncomfortable too when people start parading yeah. out that kind of language around this stuff because maybe they're almost going to use it to nudge a regulatory body to sort of look the other way on an animal rights abuse or like a human mm-hmm. trial that doesn't just quite go quite right because, oh, think about the potential. Think about what this can potential. unlock, right? What, what kind of hurdles are you maybe trying to walk around versus jump over via using, by trotting <laughs> yes. out the word potential. I, it, it's something that actually makes me uncomfortable. That said, I'm not all the way opposed to the notion of using technology or implants, right? Like we've seen a huge development in like diamond eye implants to, to be, mm-hmm. to offset certain kinds of vision loss. But again, that's like years and years and years and years of research. And it isn't really paraded around in the grandiose way these brain chips are being paraded around. It's scientists doing the work at hospitals all around the world. Absolutely. And, and, and other, other academics in the field have been saying, you know, OK, this six months human trial and the, the rush to get through it. Basically, the, the monkey, uh, the, you know, the animal trials that have been going on so far, if, if the aim is to keep this implant in someone's brain for you know, the rest of their life, then 
you need to study that for decades. You know, what, how do those electro wires corrode in the brain? How does the chip burst? You know, does it, does it start leaking? This is horrific stuff, I know. But does it start leaking and, you know, and heavy metals into the brain and all this? Now, you can't rush that. There's nothing you can do to simulate how that is going to act in, in real life. So these studies need to last for decades and decades, basically. So, yeah, there is a, I am very sceptical of this and very cynical of of any claims like this and and to be honest yeah I, I, it does make me very uncomfortable but at the same time you know if if we never start looking into it then we'd get no progress whatsoever as well so mm-hmm. it's it's a fine line to walk i think oh yeah i'm very comfortable with the idea of researching this further i i just don't know about people trotting around on stage with pomp and circumstance being like we've got the cure for blindness i uh, find that exactly disingenuous it. and very yes. uncomfortable hey sean your deep cynicism is why we love you so much. So thank you for all the cynicism that you've shared this year in your enthusiastic way on the show. It's our last live check-in on the air. Of course, we're going to chat a couple times off the oh, air yeah. during some test shows. But all the best to you and yours over the holiday season. And uh, thank you for everything you do, my friends. Oh, and right back at you. Thank you. Happy holidays. Thank you, sir. That is Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find weekdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern on AMI-audio. You can find The Pulse on AMI-audio Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Joita Gupta will chat with a group of artists about Suitcase Stories, an art project that explores the lived experiences with people of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. That's The Pulse Thursdays, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and then available on your favorite podcasting platform as well as YouTube. And Joita will be here on the show tomorrow for our last news panel of the year where Joita, Michelle, and I are going to do a year in review. So that's going to be a fun one. Coming up next, we'll talk about staycations. Picking up on a conversation I had off the air with Nazreen Abdelmajid, and we'll bring in Alex Smythe as well. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's assemble the roundtable as we do every day around this time with Alex Smythe and Nizreen Abdel-Majid. Good morning, Nizreen. Good morning. And hello, Alex. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Not too shabby. Okay, guys, let's talk about staycations, a one-day staycation. Nizreen, you and I were talking about this a little bit off the air the other day. You were on vacation last week, and you didn't do a gosh darn thing. You stayed at home and just chilled the (laughs) heck out. Alex, you recently went on vacation to the Caribbean, and I went to Montreal. So we all had different kinds of vacations, but I like the idea of Nizreen's staycation, rest, relax, But, Nazreen, I'm taking you out of the home, so I'm giving you another day of a staycation. What are you doing that day if you have to do something? So, for example, if I had the opportunity, maybe I'd buy a day pass to a health club slash spa, get in a little workout, a soak in the hot tub, a steam, a massage, maybe get a haircut in there because my hair is looking very unruly, then go see a movie. Boom. Staycation. Great day. Feeling good, looking good, my kind of day. Nazreen, I'm giving you a day, a staycation. What are you doing? 
You know what the funny thing is? I've tried to make plans with my friends for a really long time. And last week I was like, I have time to see you guys. Turns out that they have work too. So I'm not the only one working. And uh, <laughs> so I had to consider that. So for me, if I went on a staycation by myself, I would get my nails done. I would do a little bit of shopping. I would then go to the movies and get some popcorn to go. And just uh, <laughs> chill at home, cuddle in my blanket, and binge watch a show or something. And I know that all week I didn't do that, by the way. Um, I didn't even think of that until now. And uh, it kind of sucks. It kind of sucks. And I'm if you if you know me, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So I did have other uh, work plans <laughs> during my staycation. So it really didn't count as a staycation fully for me. Yeah, your side hustle gets in the way of your uh, staycation chilling. Or I don't know, maybe, maybe this is your side hustle. I don't know. You are busy. You are a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. But yeah, nail salon, uh, getting my, my uh, hair done or something, and uh, just chilling, binge watching a show with some movie theater popcorn yeah. and uh, at home. You know, Why some not? some movie theaters are making it harder to get your hands on popcorn without buying a ticket. There, they've moved up the uh, the place you swipe really? in. Really, like, but let's not get bogged down in that. Let's not get bogged down in that. <laughs> let's keep it moving. Alex, I'm not letting you go to the Caribbean. You've got to stay K, but I'm making you get out of the house. What are you doing with yeah. your one day with your one day staycation? See, normally, if I had the opportunity to stay at home, I would definitely be doing what Nazreen did and just relaxing, doing nothing at all. But if I am getting out of the house. I'm definitely going to involve some uh, food some way, shape, or form. I mean, food is all what I, I'm about. So I, it's going to be something like, you know, going for a nice meal or maybe going to the farmer's market or, or something like that, trying to figure out like a, a menu or recipe to, to make in the evening. Um, I definitely want to get together with friends, try to do something with them, maybe go to like a, a cool museum or art exhibit or, or something like that that's out and about that you can go wander explore for a couple hours and then uh you know end up end the evening at home relaxing with a nice meal or or friend alex that's uh sounds like a nice day i like it you've packed in a bunch of stuff there i'm not going to ask you any follow-up questions because you're having some audio issues there so uh it's a little bit crackled and garbled so i'm not coming back to you but let's go to eliza rocco eliza i ambushed you with this question this morning as i sometimes tend to do and then you gave it a ton of thought so what came down the pipeline as you thought about a one-day staycation okay so I, re I really planned out my day here if I can't, if I have to stay at my home or in my city, I'm gonna pretend like I am elsewhere. I'm gonna pretend like I'm abroad. So I've decided I'm gonna pretend I'm in France. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna take a French cooking class uh, with my partner, ideally, a little romantic French cooking class. Go to a little French cafe, uh, maybe go some wine tasting head over to a museum of sorts, but I would love to make it really themed to an abroad place that I wish I could be in. I Can I join you, Eliza? Yes, please. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good strategy, pretending that you're somewhere else. Staying with that question and that theme that Eliza brought up, because I think one of the ideas within a staycation is can you be a tourist in your own city? 
Now, I know in certain cases, like, for example, Eliza, you're not from Toronto originally. I'm not from Toronto originally. So I do oftentimes still feel like a tourist in this city, even though I've lived here for three years now. But do you ever get tempted to do that kind of stuff? Like, for example, Eliza, I if, if I lived near where you live, I'd be going to the aquarium pretty regularly, the Ripley's Aquarium pretty regularly, because I love me an aquarium, but I would also feel like a tourist inside my own town. Oh, yeah. I go to the, I try to make an aquarium visit at least once a year. It's it, that and the, like, Toronto Zoo. Oh, the I'm, zoo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I am a tourist at least once a year of those places. They're just, they never get old. They're so much fun. Same with, um, like, the AGO or... The ROM, like, I go to those things at least once a year. Um, it's always changing. There's always new stuff to check out. Mm, I still haven't been to the ROM or the AGO. Me too. Yeah, that's something, it's something that I've been meaning to do. I've, I've also been meaning to go to the uh, the, the Aga Khan Museum, which is, like, literally down the street, and I haven't yeah. had a chance to yet. So uh, sometimes when it comes to culture, I can be naturally lazy. Nazreen, do you ever dip into that? Do you ever be a tourist in your own town? Yeah, I've done the aquarium once a year or twice a year, you know, with my family. It's just a fun time. Um, however, I've never been to the ROM. I've, I suck at being a tourist in my own country, that's for sure. Or elsewhere, I always forget to go places. When I went to New York, I forgot to go to so many places that I wanted to go to. Um, so I need to I need to pull myself together. But it's, it is fun. It never gets old, as uh, Eliza said, for like the aquarium and the zoo and stuff like that. So it is a fun time. Alex, what about you? How are you at being a tourist in your own town? Yeah, first off, uh, we need to arrange some sort of get-together where we're all going to the ROM because you guys need to experience how amazing the ROM is. I mean, I used to go like every single year, at least once or if not twice, and always blown away. But uh, for me, I'm I'm pretty good at that. Like I like I mentioned, I, I love going to the ROM. I love going to the zoo. That was one of my, my favorite perks of working on AMI this week. It's just all the zoo vid- visits we, we got to do, get oh, to learn yeah. about the different animals. That's right. You know, animal you, class. Yeah, oh, that's it right. Was, it, it, it was so much fun and get the sneak peek get behind the scenes, maybe feed a hippo or two, learn a bit more about some of the different uh, the different creatures that the zoo has to offer. So that was always great. And then, I mean, there's so many different neighborhoods in the city. I mean, you, every sing, you could go for like a month in Toronto and have a different experience every single day because of all the different kind of feeling each neighborhood, each stretch, each area has to offer. So that's always really fun. But uh, I will say too, Dave, I have to admit, I've also never been to the Aga Khan Museum and I also lived right around the corner from there for a couple of years. So that's one that I, I definitely need to tick off my, my bucket list next time I, I make a day in Toronto. Alex, I'm trying to remember when you were filling in for me for those couple of weeks, didn't your friends, was it the ROM or was it the AGO that tried to convince, convince you to come out to you one night? Yeah, it was the ROM. It was uh, uh, kind of like, the four o'clock onward um, uh, uh, shift, I, I think it was on like a Tuesday because they they uh, either give discounted entry or it's free entry after a certain time. But it was one of those things. I was I was exhausted early morning. Dave, you you, you have to get up early to fill your shoes. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not used to that. I, I like as much sleep as possible. So basically, I, I went home and slept uh, uh, after, after the workday. But yeah, so that's certainly, uh, there's tons of different things happening at the ROM. Even the Science Center that's also down the street. I mean, we have some great museums, great centers, great experiences that uh, people need to check out within within Toronto. 
As someone who settled their bar tab at about 10 p.m. last night, I can definitely tell you that I also appreciate sleep, but apparently not enough to leave the bar at a reasonable time after the <laughs> Christmas party. Alex, thank you for this. Nazreen, thank you as well. Eliza, thank you for chiming on, in on this one as well. As you may have noticed, there was no Rumya as part of this roundtable today. Rumya's on vacation this week. Well-deserved even though she came to the Christmas party last night too. So that was real fun. In fact, she was in the office yesterday. Kelly and company was happening in this studio. Kelly McDonald was sitting here in studio five and Grant Hardy was in studio one and Brock Richardson was in studio five and Rumia was on the other side of the glass right where Alex is sitting and they wouldn't let her on the show. They said, no, you're on vacation. You don't get to work today. Anyway, nonetheless, there is still an episode of Kelly and company coming your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time. They're going to start talking about the World Junior Hockey Championships with Sam Constantino from Sportsnet. I know that's an annual tradition unlike any other when they preview the World Juniors with Sam. You can tell Christmas is brewing when the World Juniors are there and we forget all about sexual assault scandals at Hockey Canada. We just put them completely aside and we wrap ourselves in the flag and we just watch hockey because uh, we are not patriotic robots at all. And Debbie Williams will talk accessible gaming with a special highlight on the party game, Forbidden Words. I had to put this one, uh, had to read this one a couple times before I said it out loud because it's the number four and then Biden words. And I was like, is it some kind of like political game about Joe Biden? But then I realized, oh no, it's a word play. Forbidden words, forbidden words. So always fun when Debbie Williams stops by the show. Kelly and Company comes your way, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next... You'll get the chance to learn about the Rowan Tree Collective, a new programming hub in Thunder Bay for people with autism. Karen McGee has the details. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. One of the great pleasures in life is a hug from Karen McGee. And because of the AMI Christmas party yesterday, I got two of them. One at the start of the party and one at the end of the day. A glorious day in my life. Karen McGee, still in the greater Toronto area, joining us for a regional reports, not from Morrisburg, Ontario, but from down the hall in Studio One. Hello, Karen it's one of the reasons I come to Toronto is for the hugs. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason we come to Toronto, just for the quality hugs. Uh, Karen, let's talk about some stuff going on in the region, beginning in Thunder Bay with the Rowan Tree Collective, a programming hub for adults with autism. So why was this particular hub so important for the community? So we've talked about this before. There is a serious lack of resources for adults with autism. Um, there's a lot of time and money devoted to children with autism, um, getting the training, um, getting them skills. But once they sort of adult out of high school around the age 21, there's not a lot of programs for them. We see um, something in Cornwall called Beyond 21 that was set up by parents. And this is something similar. So the Rowan Tree Collective, it's it's a new programming hub for adults in Thunder Bay with autism and neurodiversities. Um, Started by parents, lack, again, it's the lack of programming, right? They wanted a place that was safe, inclusive, and judgment-free. And a place that would also give structure, routine, while learning life skills to their to their children. Um, they they do a lot of great programming there. This type of programming is obviously needed up there. They expect they're going to be at capacity soon. That's how needed it was. It just opened recently. It's so needed it's almost full. They're trying to find ways to accommodate everybody. 
Um, but they also hope that it's going to inspire other parents in the area to create some programming that is inclusive like this and just give give kids who have aged out of out of the school system something to do and more opportunities. So what are some of the activities they have on offer for the for these individuals? So they focus on the five branches of programming, which are recreation, entertainment, health and wellness, active citizenship, life skills and employment and volunteerism. And actually, the my Dave- gosh, that's like the Dave Brown table of happiness. <laughs> it, it looks like a wonderful thing on the, on the day of the, uh, the 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 reporter from CBC did this story. They were actually they started with a yoga class. And then the the members were doing making sandwiches for a local soup kitchen called St. Andrew's Dew Drop In, which I love that name. Anybody who loves the Waltons would love that name. Um, which it's a local soup kitchen. Then they take the the food to the local soup kitchen. They interact with with the people at the soup kitchen, and you know people are getting to, to know them. And it, it's giving people life skills, getting people out in the community, and getting involved. And everybody wants to be involved. And everybody, you know, wants to feel included. And this program sounds like it's wonderful. It's been well thought out, well structured. And we're hearing more and more about this where it's actually the parents that are starting up the things because, at tw- like I said, at 21, there's not a lot available. Yeah, it serves a really, really important gap for, for adults to continue to receive supports and programming uh, to make sure they have uh, meaningful opportunities to engage with the community as well. So really cool to see that at that collective in Thunder Bay. So if folks want to learn more, they can visit rowantreecollective.ca, rowantreecollective.ca. Rowan is spelt, and this is always an adventure anytime I spell anything, R-O-W-A-N, R-O-W-A-N, rowantreecollective.ca. Karen McGee, let's talk about your turf, because community reporter Shiny Saravanamuthu stepped all over your turf yesterday in her community report that's allegedly about Montreal. But no, 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 no. Shiny went down the 401 into Morrisburg, into Ontario, and started talking about Upper Canada Village and their A Light at Night event, which is super cool. Great opportunity to tour Upper Canada Village. But there's an accessibility angle to this as well. So how are they making the space accessible to visitors? First of all, she's more than welcome to come in Morrisburg. I'm just up the road. I'm, I live, my house is a mile away. If they can get, the four of closed yesterday, so good luck anybody who was trying to get to a light the night last night. Um, the So what they do, and they do this for their pumpkin fern, and I've talked about it a lot, but I think it's really important. So what they do is they actually have a night, the next one is December 13th, where people who have mobility issues can get driven through the village. Now, you know, the, the part of me that's a purist that says, first of all, there shouldn't be electricity for lights in the village, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> oh and they're driving cars down these roads where only horses are. Ah, oh, my brain. But it, it's it's a really great way to see it from the comfort of your vehicles. Um, people will guide through. There's someone from the village who knows how to get through. They maintain the road so that cars can get through when they, when they do have snow, which we don't right now um, at home. Um, and they just drive you through so you can enjoy the lights at your own speed. Um, they do a specific nights for it. The next one's December 13th. Um, and it's just a lovely way for people who may not be able to enjoy because it is a lot of walking. Like when you go, you can take the horse carriage around, but we usually walk. And it's it's a lot of walking. And, you know, it's cold. It can get cold. The breeze oh is gosh, off the yeah. river. The breeze, it's right on the river. So, like, the breeze comes off the river. So even if it's fine in the parking lot, by the time you get into the actual village, it's cold. And that, that can be a really cold wind. So being able to be in the comfort of your car is a wonderful way to experience all the lights. Yeah, not to mention the the roads there can get a little bumpy. If somebody's using a mobility device, it can get a little bit dicey uh, trying to get through the streets of uh, Upper Canada Village. So, Karen, you mentioned it before, but remind me, when is the next accessibility night and how should people go about getting tickets? Because there is some reservation involved here. Yeah, so I I do keep mentioning like December 13th because that was the next date that I saw. I know they had one December 6th. If you go online to uppercandavillage.com, 
and you find the accessibility link. It's one, it's one of the top points that they have on their list of, of things to know about the, the event. And you click on the accessibility information and you actually book a time. It's in 15-minute intervals. So you have to physically book your time. you be there. You just can't show up, though. I don't want to say this. They're pretty accommodating there, but they would prefer a, a reservation to get in. Um, and someone will be there to guide you through. So just go through. It, it sets up a reminder, like a reminder in your, your calendar when to come. And you can book your tickets and enjoy it. And you, it's, you know, obviously your family can come in the car, too. Karen, you love Christmas. There's like no getting around that, whether it's Hallmark <laughs> holiday movies or the lights or the songs or the festivities or the sweaters. Take your pick. You're a fan. What is it that you like so much about this Alight the Night event? Because I know Upper Canada Village is a place that, like, it means a lot to you, but I feel like this event also means a lot to you. So, full disclosure, it took me a while to get used to it because I did kind of go, wait a minute. If they're being true, there was like back to the electricity thing. Now, the village does have electricity for some pump and to keep the buildings heated. It was like, wait a minute, they're putting lights on like buildings from the 1800s that would have no lights. So, there was a problem. First time I saw it, I was blown away. These are buildings that I've loved my whole life. Um, my dad helped design the village, helped build it when it first opened. Um, so there's a connection to it and it's just something, I love the excitement. I love the people it brings to town. Um, the lineup at the local McDonald's is usually huge during the light of the night. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> we see the traffic go by my house. It just makes me happy that people are enjoying something I love so much. And I know I sound really nerdy, don't I? No, no. You sound like someone who cares about your community. <laughs> A little bit. I may have mentioned Morseburg once or twice on the air. <laughs> once or twice. You you wear that with you wear that with a badge of honor. You also said the magic word McDonald's. Uh, your boy <laughs> definitely needs some McDonald's today after my late night last night. Uh, how are you enjoying your Toronto trip? I know it's always kind of quick ins and outs because you have responsibilities back home. But how are you, how'd you enjoy a day on the road yesterday? So just seeing the people that some people I haven't been able to see for three almost three years has meant so much because it's, you know, we, I, this is going to sound corny and hokey, but we really are, feel like a family here at AMI. We all get along really well. Um, it, it's just nice to see people, you know, connect with some people who came from across the country, um, met with uh, one of our uh, external production companies this morning for breakfast. It's always all business, Karen McGee. Got to get at least one business <laughs> meeting and then make it feel good. But it, it's just seeing everybody. And I got that real sense yesterday that everybody was just happy to be in the same place. Yeah, you and uh, you and Don Dickinson were striking up a fun conversation. I had a nice sidebar with Andrika Delanerol yesterday. Corinne Van Dusen was in the building. A lot of our uh, marketing team was here. I didn't get too much time to chat with Greg David. I was upset about that. I love hanging out with Greg, but he was uh, he was busy. But it was awesome to see folks here yesterday. I agree. There are moments where this AMI family like really flourishes, and days like yesterday were one of them. Although I will say. By the end of the afternoon, I was kind of feeling like, get the heck out of my office, everyone. You're making a lot of noise. I'm trying to do some work here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, you know, but it's okay because I had a glass of red wine with me at my desk while I was doing that. So, you know, that's not too shabby. I, I could get used to the Don Draper-esque lifestyle of, uh, of, of doing my work. I can, I can see that, that for that you. Way. I can yeah. see that for you. Yeah, me and Don Draper uh, from Mad Men were like the exact same person, uh, minus the handsomeness and charmingness and, uh, you oh, know, Oh, you're very handsome oh, and charming. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I wasn't just fishing for a compliment there. Uh, but Karen, allow me to lend this playing with a compliment to you. You are such a great fixture on this show throughout the year, and this is the last time we're going to be checking in live in 2022. I want to thank you for your participation participation on the news quiz and your regional reports, and you also will pop on the show from time to time uh, when we need an extra voice or a little bit of extra help. The work you do as part of this team is something that we can't even quantify, so we thank you for everything you do, and all the best to you and the family and the 
animals and everybody else over the holiday season. Stop making me blush, first of all. You know I don't like that. <laughs> but it is it is one of the joys of my life. We were talking yesterday how when we first started bringing my role onto back then it was AMI Audio, I did not want to do this. I was like, there is you heard me. I'm there's no way I'm going on the air. <laughs> and now I actually look forward to it. So, and a lot of that's because of you and your coaching, Dave. So, thank oh, you for everything you do. Compliments flying around through and through. <laughs> oh, and also, you know who else I also want to make mention of? We got a chance to catch up with Grant Hardy a little bit yesterday oh. for our, from formerly of the Vancouver Bureau, now part of the uh, Kelly and Company team. My gosh, I don't think I'd seen Grant Hardy since, oh, man, 2017, 2018. Nice time catching up with uh, Grant as well. So, yeah, so much fun to get together with the team yesterday and reconnect with some folks. Karen, we got to get out of here. Thank you once again, and have a great day. Safe travels back to Morrisburg. Thank you, my friend. That is Karen McGee, a content development specialist for AMI, hanging out in Toronto. But off she goes in just a couple of minutes down the road, the 401 to Morrisburg, Ontario. We'll miss her until we get to hang out with her once again. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we do a news panel year in review with Joita and Michelle. Last live broadcast of the year for us before we go on a one-month hiatus to do some testing. So you want to be there tomorrow. I'm going to bring in all my energy and have to get all my takes off my chest in two hours. Can I do it? Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.